Can we welcome Peter as he comes to speak from God's Word this morning? Good morning. It's good to see you. I am aware that last week you had the young guy, and Ben did a great job, and today you got the old guy. So uh, there we go. You can tell me afterwards whether it's better or worse. <laughs> um, a couple of books to suggest to you, first of all, which will come up on the screen. Um, the first is not on the screen, but it's this one. It's the Bible. That's the subject of our talk today. I've been asked to talk to you about Scripture as authority, so that's what we'll be focusing on. Uh, but some other resources that will be helpful to you, I believe. First of all, um, is this one. Um, sorry, not that one, but this one. Can I Really Trust the Bible by Barry Cooper, which is rec from a recommended source, particularly if you're somebody who is maybe exploring the Christian faith, not quite sure yet. That's written particularly with, with you in mind and your situation. The second one is um, Unbreakable by Andrew Wilson. It's a very slim volume, but it carries a punch. Uh, subtitle, Without What the Son of God Said About the Word of God. And uh, I've got a little supply of these here, so you're welcome to take one at the end if you'd like to. Um, if you remember to stick three quid in the box at some point or whatever, then do. But it doesn't matter too much if you don't. It's, it's there for you. Um, the third one is this one, Understanding the Bible by John Stott, written a while ago, but uh, very accessible, but quite thorough in its treatment of Scripture, how to read it well, to understand it correctly, those kind of things. Um, that's online, in, on Amazon. I did look very easily accessible, as, as the others are as well. Um, and the final one is by N.T. Wright, Scripture and the Authority of God, um, which is a, a bit more of an academic-y, intellectually tone uh, for those of you that want to go even deeper in the subject. So that's some stuff for you there. Uh, the PowerPoint that will be on the screen will also be in, attached to e-news this week, so you don't need to worry about trying to take notes or whatever. It will be there uh, for you later on. By point, way of introduction, the first thing for us to note is that all spiritual authority belongs to God. Uh, that's where it all comes from. And the Bible only has authority because it is the Word of God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. In other words, it carries God's authority. It's not that, in that sense, it's got an authority of its own. It's a derived authority coming from God himself, whose Word it is as a God-breathed, inspired document. A number of years ago, a guy called Derek Prince, who was a lecturer in philosophy at Cambridge University, uh, was called international service, so it tells you how long it was a while ago. Um, not a Christian, in fact, a convinced non-Christian. Um, and he was allowed to take one book. This is the story he told. And uh, he thought, I know what, I'll take a copy of the Bible. I'll get one, and I'll take a copy of the Bible um, so that I can read it and analyze it and give my opinion upon it. And what he found as he was reading it was that it was reading him. And the consequence of that was that a little while later, he became a Christian, gave his life to Jesus, simply because he began to seriously read the Bible as we know it today, the Word of God. Uh, the Bible carries authority, uh, and uh, it's uh, good to recognize that, to realize it's God's authority that it carries. There are different types of authority, of course. There's positional authority, like, such as the head teacher carries. There's a situational authority, such as a first aider at the scene of an accident. There's internal authority, 
what someone carries pers- out of their personality, out of their, their person, who they are, and the pr- a kind of presence that they, that they bring with them. You maybe have one or two people who come to mind when, when you think of that. And, of course, a spiritual authority, where there is a work of the Holy Spirit going on that results in an authority that somebody has, which particularly could be expressed in Christian leadership as a defining feature of that. But God's authority is rooted in who he is. It's internal to him. It comes out of who he is, out of his person. And, of course, it's spiritual. And he is the loving, all-wise creator, redeemer. That's who he is. He knows everything. He's all-wise, and he's authored a book through the inspiration of a load of different people for our benefit. His authority is not imposed. God's not like that. He doesn't impose his authority. He's given us free will to make our choices. He's not controlling but it is a very powerful and effective authority. What demonstrates that better than Genesis chapter 1, where God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he said a whole load of other things, and as a result, there was sky, there was land, there were seas, there were stars, there were planets, there were plants, there were trees, there was mankind, it was you and me. Simply because one day God spoke. That's the authority and the power and the effectiveness of the word of God. Some of which he's put into the scriptures for us, for our instruction. The Bible's God-breathed and God-inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is god Breathe. Of course, he was referring, when he wrote it, the Apostle Paul wrote that to the Old Testament as we now know it. 2 Peter says this, No prophecy of Scripture had its origin in the will of man, but spoke from God, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's a very helpful concept for us to get hold of as we understand the mechanism of the way that Scripture came about. The Bible's powerful and effective. What does Hebrews tell us? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and joints, spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what Derek Prince discovered. And many of you have probably already discovered that as well as have I. That as we read scripture, our heart is revealed. God speaks to us. God equips us. And, and does his work in us. But where does the Bible come from? The Old Testament was identified by the Jews before Jesus came. There was an identification of which documents were anointed, were God-inspired, God-breathed, and accepted as the scriptures as they knew them. And the really important point for us to note about that today is that Jesus authenticated that. Exactly that. He made repeated references to, quote, the law and the prophets. If you read the words of Jesus, the red bits in the Gospels, if your Bible's printed that way, as mine is, then you'll see that he often said this, the law and the prophets, referring to this body of documents known as the Old Testament. 
And he said in Matthew chapter 7, Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. But how about the New Testament? Where did that come from? You can get much more material, of course, on all of this in the books that I referred to at the beginning if you want to go deeper. The New Testament was identified by the early church by the late 300s AD. That was when it was kind of the canon, as we call it, was closed. Okay, this is what we accept as being the New Testament. And there were three primary qualifications, if you like, for documents to be included. The first was being apostolic in origin, uh, that the authorship was apostolic of those that came, that knew knew Jesus uh, and and encountered him on earth, including, of course, the Apostle Paul. Secondly, they were deemed to be, found to be sound in doctrine and and consistent, therefore, with the whole of the rest of Scripture. And thirdly, that they were received in the churches as recognized as authoritative, in other words, carrying in the witness of the Spirit the authority of God within them. Now, it's important for us to know, as Andrew Wilson points out, that all branches of the global church accept the New Testament as we now have it within our Bibles. Okay, They are the undisputed texts. There are disputed texts beyond that, which you will find in the Apocrypha, as it's called, and other documentation that some people will think, well, I think that might be part of the anointed scriptures, and other people will know, and we don't think it is. So what we've got is what the global church all accept and receive. So that's helpful to know that. Now, Jesus, as we said, affirmed the Old Testament as the authoritative word of God. He affirmed it as scripture. In Luke chapter 4, you may remember that he is given uh, the scroll of Isaiah to read from. He does so about himself and his mission on earth. And then he concludes by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, um, affirming it. And I love this quote from Andrew Wilson. He says this, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus. The authentication of Scripture by Jesus is a foundation stone upon which we receive the Scripture as the Word of God. Because he himself, as the Son of God, and God himself, authenticated it and affirmed it. He affirmed it as being God-breathed. He referred to David in Psalm 110, saying, David, speaking by the Spirit. He taught it. He quoted it lots. He lived it. The way he lived his life, the morals that he taught and the way he lived affirmed the teaching of Scripture. And he relied on the Bible when he himself was tempted. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. And there are lessons for us in this that we can apply to our lives Temptation number one, you may remember Luke 4, the, the, the enemy of Satan says to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now bearing in mind, Jesus has been um, fasting, not eating a jot for 40 days by this time, it's nearly six weeks. And what an appealing suggestion uh, that the enemy comes up with, just turn this stone into bread. Very, very appealing when you're starving. But what's Jesus' reply? How does he deal with that? He faces that up by saying, it is written, quoting the scriptures, man does not live on bread alone. Timothy says, Paul to Timothy says, 
that all Scripture is God-breathed, he goes on to say, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped in every good work. There is an equipping in our hearts and lives through and from the Scriptures that we can rely on, as Jesus did. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. The word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord equips us and enables us to live the life that God has called us to. The Bible is enough, in other words. It is enough for us, and therefore it makes so much sense to make sure that we read it, and that we, by reading it, feed on it. I'd love to be able to say to you, I read the Bible every single day. That's not quite true. It's almost true. Almost every single day would be true. I really want to encourage you to be doing the same, to read the script, even if it's a little bit. It doesn't have to be a whole load, just a little bit. Be getting the truth of the Word of God absorbed into your spirit by reading the Word. The Bible's enough, so let's read it regularly. Second temptation that Jesus has from the enemy, who says this, Worship me, Satan says to Jesus, and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Now that was a very appealing suggestion because he was suggesting that rather than going to the cross, you could get the kingdoms by worshipping me. And he knew that he'd been given kingdoms of the earth. He was ruling them. And so he said, I'll give it to you, Jesus, if you just worship me. In other words, it would still not be, it would still be his, really. Not Jesus' at all if he'd done that. What a, an appealing suggestion to avoid the suffering of the cross. Because what did Jesus say? How did he defend himself from that one? He said, it is written. Again, quoting scripture. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Quoting back the authoritative word of God to the enemy. The Bible's authoritative, and Jesus obeyed it wholeheartedly. And of course, we want to do the same as followers of Jesus as well. And then the third temptation that Jesus is given by the enemy is this. Throw yourself down, because it says, the Bible says, he will command his angels to care for you. And of course, that is true. It does say that. But it was a misquote, in as much or a misapplication in as much as, what does Jesus do? How does he reply to that one? Again, he says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, the enemy was wanting to take a particular verse, take it out of context, and apply it in an incorrect way. And Jesus says, no, don't do that, because what the Bible also says is this, don't test the Lord your God. Because he'd been tempted to throw himself down and the angels would come and help him. Says, don't test God. You may or may not have heard the story uh, of somebody who was looking for guidance from God and they decided, okay, what, what am I going to do? Okay, I'll get my Bible and I'll just open it at random. And he opens it at random and his eyes fix upon the verse that says, and Judas went out and hung himself. That wasn't very encouraging. So he thought, okay, let's try again. Opened it again. Next verse. Go and do thou likewise. Not necessarily a good way of trying to seek the guidance of God. The Bible is coherent, and we want to interpret it consistently with the whole of the Scriptures. Never take a verse out of context. Now, we're disciples and followers of Jesus, 
And so we want to take the same view of Scripture that Jesus did. We want to rely on it as he did when he was tempted. We want to obey it as he did. And we want to interpret it consistently as well. And John Stott, in his book that I referred to, gives us some helpful guidelines in terms of how to reliably interpret the Scriptures. And I will simply very quickly summarize them for you, but you can, of course, go to the book and look at this more for yourselves if you'd like to do that. And there are three guidelines. The first is that we look for the natural meaning. In other words, what is the clear and obvious meaning of the text? And often that is sufficient. It is clear, it's obvious what Jesus says, what Old Testament says. Do not kill. Okay, that's pretty clear. We know what that means. That doesn't need... Um, a theological expert to interpret for us what that might mean. The second method, if you like, to apply criteria is the uh, what's the original meaning? What did the text mean to the original readers of it? What did it mean to the writer? What was he trying to convey to his readers at the time where they were there? In other words, context is really, really important. An example where that could go seriously wrong would be people who might take the New Testament teaching about head covering and decide that, okay, that means that every, all, the, all the ladies in the church ought to wear head coverings. The point was that it meant something in their culture completely different from what it would mean now, whether you wear a hat or not. And so it would be a, an opportunity to completely misunderstand the point that Paul was making. And then there's thirdly, the general meaning. In other words... The, 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 the meaning that we're deriving from reading the Scripture is consistent with the general meaning, the, the meaning of the whole of the Bible, the rest of the Bible. Does it make sense? Does the meaning that we're seeing fit with the rest of Scripture, in other words? And that's a vital, vital principle. Because the Bible is essentially narrative, it's story, most of it, much of it, and so it's to be understood as part of a, 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 a 66-book narrative that God has revealed to us. I want us then to look at some of the challenges, three challenges to the Bible and to the Scriptures and to our understanding and living out of the Scriptures as we move into the second part of this message. And, and there are three, first of all, is spiritual challenges, secondly, cultural challenges, and thirdly, personal challenges, by which I mean things that might pressure us, lead us to misinterpret, misapply, or fail to understand, or fail to apply the Scriptures in our lives. So the first thing, the, the spiritual challenges, which, where Satan and his demons have looked to oppose and undermine God's authority in our lives by stealing the truth from us. Genesis chapter 3 is an example of that. Let me read you a few verses. It's quite a well-known passage. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. 
You see, the enemy is described as crafty, which means intelligent and devious. And his tactics are, first of all, to sow doubt. Did God really say? Have you experienced that one? When you're reading scripture or you're talking to somebody else and they think, well, did God, did God really, can't, surely it can't really say that, can it? Did God really say? Watch out for that. It's, it's a good question to ask, but it also could be in the wrong, coming from the wrong place, a dangerous question to hear. Did God really say? Then Eve initially is clear in her response, no, but God did say, and then she says, repeats that. And Satan persists, doesn't he? He comes back, and he's, he kind of contradicts God. Um, he tells an alternative story, in other words, and says, you'll be like God if you eat the fruit of that tree. It's an appealing suggestion, again. Just as when Jesus was in the, in the desert, here there were appealing suggestions from the enemy, undermining or seeking to undermine the truth of God. So we can find that our appealing suggestions, which might come from a spiritual source, might come from a cultural source, might come from other sources we'll talk about as well, as to reasons why we might find ourselves under pressure to deviate from the truth as revealed within the scriptures. Sadly, for all of us, Eve fell for it, didn't she? As did Adam, of course. Uh, fell into sin. Separation from God resulted. Decay and death resulted from that. It didn't quite turn out the way that they wanted. They put their opinion above God's and got it fatally wrong. Satan's still trying to undermine your trust in the word of God. And it's important to recognize that. It may be this morning that you're not a believer or you're watching online uh, later and you're not a, yet a believer in Jesus. And it's, it's kind of challenging for us when we're not a believer in Jesus because we can kind of want to find our own way to God, want to find our own way to eternity, want to find our own way to salvation, to reconciliation, a relationship with God. And the Bible makes it really clear to us that there's, there's only one way to find that, and that's through Jesus himself. So my encouragement to you is to be willing to seriously look into that, to read the Bible, to read a gospel, to ask God to speak to you, and you'll find that he will if you do that. But make sure you're not putting your opinions above what the word of God reveals to you. For many of us, we can be tempted if we're on a journey, can't we? I guess we'll mostly relate to this. Uh, not to bother looking at the map. It'll be, okay, I'll find it. I was going down to Basildon yesterday to meet with the leaders of another church, and I, uh, I knew I knew most of the route, but wasn't quite sure about the last bit. So I set off from home, and as I got nearer to Basildon, I thought, I think I'd better check whether I, with the way. So I pulled into a lay-by, stopped, and actually did the sensible thing for once, and got the map out, or got the Google Maps out, and let it tell me and how to get to where I had to go to. It was a good job I did that, because if I hadn't done that, I know now I would have gone the wrong way. And doubt was going to enter my head, because it was a lot further, many more roundabouts. Basildon's got endless roundabouts, you know that, um, before I actually had to make a turning. And I would have thought, no, 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 I must have missed it. I must have gone too far. But because Google Maps was leading me, I was okay, and I got to the right place. If we try to either find God without looking at the map, the scriptures that he's given to us, 
then it's like trying to find him in, completely, in, our, in our ignorance, if you like. Similarly, if we're a believer this morning and we're trying to live our life in a godly way, but we do it without the map, then we're setting ourselves up to make mistakes. So let's make sure we say, God, you've given us the map. Let's make sure we're reading it, feeding on it, being strengthened by it, and being led by it. It's the word of God to us. Is God really saying? Secondly, cultural challenges. Is God really saying? In this day and age, there are issues in our society where the scriptures and the view of society do not line up. And we will find ourselves, you probably have already, under pressure to yield to that pressure and to deviate from the scriptures and from the truth as God has revealed it to us and as we understand it to the best of our ability together. Let's not give in to those pressures. The elevation of self-truth, I think, is one of those. That it is increasingly seen as valid within our society to have, I have my truth, you have your truth, that's fine. Failing to realize that there is actually a truth, the truth, which God has revealed to us. And we need to be really clear about that and to be willing to stand up on the issues as necessary with, of course, all wisdom and grace. A while back, Angela was talking to a guy who, uh, not a Christian, who, who said, has all become obvious, who said to her, well, I think Jesus was an alien. And she sort of said, pardon me? <laughs> Why? On what basis do you believe that? I said, well, well, I just do. And he thought, well, that's my opinion. Um, but he had no basis for it other than that's what he decided. And we can think, well, what a foolish place to put yourself in. But let's make sure that we're not even slightly going in that same direction and beginning to, to base our opinions on what we think rather than on what God has revealed. So there are cultural challenges. That's what I'm saying. I'm sure you're aware of those. And finally, in terms of challenges, are personal challenges. You see, the circumstances of your life or of people around you or of people dear to you can apply pressure to your thinking and to your beliefs so that you actually... It's really difficult to believe and to hold to what the scripture teaches. And there's pressure. I just don't want to believe that. So when we see that scripture does teach that there is a day where there will be a separation from Matthew 24, really clearly, between those who are followers of Jesus and those who are not, there will be those to whom Jesus tearfully says, depart from me ever so tempting not to want to believe that and to say, well, surely God's a God of love. Yes, he is, absolutely. That's why he'll have tears in his eyes if people have rejected him to the end. But it's still true. And we mustn't give in to the pressures, however strong they are, to throw out the scriptures or to go to such great lengths to 
kind of try to reinterpret them in another way because it's more comfortable for us. Rather, let's be those who say, no, God, I believe in you, in the power and effectiveness of your word. I believe in prayer. I'm going to pray for people that I really need you to touch their hearts and lives and believe you for your goodness and your salvation to come through to them. Let's go down that route, shall we? Andrew Wilson says this, we have a choice. When the Bible is uncomfortable reading, we can either challenge the Bible or let the Bible challenge us. Somebody else once said, it's not my opinions that matter, but what you say in your word. And the big three in terms of challenges that we face in life, aren't they? Money, sex, and power. They're, They're the big three. So just to reflect in your own life, in terms of your sexuality and what you do with that, how that looks, are you living a godly life? In terms of your handling of money and what you do with that, are you fulfilling, are you doing what the scriptures teach us? In terms of the way you exercise authority or power in family, at work, in church, wherever it might be, are you doing that according to scripture? with humility and so on. Let's say, God, really help us to apply your truth into our lives in all these areas that that matter so much. Just as we close, for our encouragement, let's remember this. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Jesus met two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were going for a walking, and after he'd risen from the dead, And he expounds the scriptures to them, it says. And it says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Isn't that wonderful? Let's be asking God to open our minds. I'll pray for you before we finish in a moment. That that he will be opening our minds to understand the scriptures that much more fully. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus said this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So let's be trusting him and asking him to be doing that and believing that he does, he does, give us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. You find yourself reading it and you know it's true. You know it's true. God also sometimes, finally, speaks to us personally and specifically through reading scripture. Not necessarily in the same way it was meant to the person it was written to, but it can still be a way that God speaks. I had an example of this. In fact, the reason I'm even we're here today is because a long time ago now, I was reading the Old Testament part of it about Elijah, and uh, there's a little verse there that says, leave this place and go east. And that was God's instruction to Elijah, but it became God's instruction to me and Andrea. And that's why we're here in Bishop's Daughter. We moved here because of that, because God spoke. He's able to speak to us in ways that are unmistakable. And we really thank him for that. So our challenge really today is, will we submit to God in his word? Or will we yield to spiritual or cultural or personal challenges that come our way? Shall we pray together as we finish?
first of all, if you're somebody that would say, actually, I am not yet a follower of Jesus, then you might want to come to him for the first time and ask him to come into your life to say that you do want to become a follower of his. And if that's you today, then we would love to chat to you afterwards and come and talk to Gareth or Benita or myself. I'll be uh, in the foyer for a few minutes at the end as well. And we'd love to help you and talk to you about how you can move forward with that. But just as we take a moment, you want to invite you to have an opportunity to be talking to God and just be saying to him, okay, Lord, wherever I've put my opinions above your word, I repent of that, I change my mind, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Rather, I'm going to affirm my submission to Scripture. And the thing that follows on from that is, again, inviting you to be affirming to God, okay, I'm going to live by the scriptures, live by the Bible. I'm going to apply the teaching of your word into my life and actually do it where I haven't been. Let me read a few verses over you as you continue to pray. This is from 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, continuing in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man and woman, of course, of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Lord, we reach to you today for your equipping of us through your word. I pray now that you will rekindle hunger for your word. I believe God's actually wanting to come even now and to do that in your heart. So if you're open to receiving that, then be ready. Lord, come and rekindle hunger for your word, for the truth of your word in our hearts. Move on us, Lord. May we find we're different. May we find we're wanting to read your word in a fresh way, with fresh desire from this day forward. And we thank you that you equip us for every good work through your word. And Lord, I ask you to pour out your spirit on every one of us, that as we read your scripture, that the equipping of the Holy Spirit takes place. We are built up, we are strengthened, we're edified, we're informed. We're led into the truth by your Spirit. Because Jesus, you promised that you'd send the Spirit and he would lead us into all truth. And so I ask you now, yeah, Holy Spirit, receive him afresh. Receive him afresh to lead you into the truth. To inspire you as you read his word that the truth takes root and bears fruit in your lives.